Hello and welcome to VentureCast. I am David Hornick of August Capital. And this is Howard Hartenbaum, also of August Capital. And we return to you. It is now June. I don't know when we did the last one. What do you think? Uh, Two months. But we have some on the calendar. I was looking. Uh, I don't know if you're as obsessed with your calendar, but I am completely obsessed with my calendar. This is... Uh, obsessed meaning you want every slot filled? <laughs> that is how it feels. I guess to a certain degree, the reason I'm obsessed with my calendar is because every slot is filled. And so you're like, oh, I don't want that to be messed up because you got to shift things around. The biggest problem with that, to tell you the truth, and, and I think you do a better job of this than I do, is that, you know, we, we, our... The job of a venture investor is you're always looking for some great new company, right? And so you're meeting and meeting and meeting and meeting. But the problem is when you meet one and go, oh, my goodness, this is exciting. If you're scheduled out for the next three weeks, then what do you do? Oh, you have to cancel a bunch of stuff in order to do due diligence and find out if you're actually excited about the company or whatever. So you can't actually, if you want to do it right, you can't be full because <laughs> if you see things, you want to have the time available to, to dig in and whatever. So, so that happened this week with Vivek brought in a company and they and saw it in the morning and said, wow, this is interesting. And everybody who was in town cleared their calendars, canceled all their meetings to meet them in the afternoon. Yeah, which is awesome. And then, unfortunately, it wasn't everyone. And now everybody else is clearing their schedules yeah, for, the you know. in town. Yeah. No, no. I, I think I was in town. I think I, I had a board meeting. meeting. Yeah. I had a board yeah. meeting, right? What can you do? But I think that, you know, you, it is this always this tricky thing. But anyway, so so I'll be on an airplane and I'll flip through my calendar for the year, basically, going, where is that? Where is that? What is that? What's the plan? Also because, you know, I'm asked to go to events and speak and all. And, you know, they they all feel compelling and you want to get the word out. But then you kind of look at your calendar and go, wow, that's, that's not good. <laughs> Um, so, so how do you manage it in general? I actually have a process for managing oh, this. Oh, good. I want to hear that. I have no idea. Um, my, you know, my process is basically say yes to the things that are interesting, put them on the calendar, marry my assistant, schedules out board meetings for the year, so at least a year in advance, and then on an ongoing basis, anything that I think is interesting is just you know find a time with Mary. But the result of that is that at any given moment, I'm at least two weeks out and usually three, which is not too I think it's, it's even more complex than you state because a lot of times it's, like I said, like Vivek had a company and it was no way you or I could expect that this is going to happen and we may all get on a plane next week and yeah. go somewhere to see them. So m- my process for managing it is... If it's just to catch up with somebody I know who's an interesting entrepreneur or another VC or something, I put on the calendar a number associated with like priority stuff. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I know you yeah. have uh, this one can be moved, this one can't. And-, and there's a priority of like one through four, like a two takes priority over a three or a four, or a one takes priority, and every now and then there's a zero, which means every it takes priority and we have to cancel stuff in it feels really horrible when you've got a guy scheduled for two weeks and he's a priority two and you tell him two hours before the meeting I'm sorry yeah I have that and it is you know I don't have a system that's quite that efficient but I do certainly have the what I'll do is someone emails me and then I'll say great I'd love to get together and I copy and talk to Mary and then the next email is to Mary and it says you know like 
put this in wherever. <laughs> like this, mu- this needs to happen. And then she has the fun of looking and going, "Oh, I know this is just a chit chat or whatever." That one gets bounced. But you know, sometimes people fly in for meetings, etc. It's a, I mean, I don't it's, do that. It's a tricky. Th- it's a tricky thing, right? To, to it, and it, and it's mostly it's not because it's tricky. Oh, gee, we have uh, our job is so hard or whatever. It's just that since our job is in part about discovering interesting things, but also in part about relationship management, about making sure that people fee- you know appropriately feel like you're treating them fairly, you need to do that, right? Yeah, That's so hard. this week I had a meeting scheduled for the afternoon, and then we had this conflict with uh, Vivek's meeting. And so instead of that guy just, he was coming down from the city and he had some other stuff to do, and I couldn't just cancel him. And so I said, I tell you what, where are you tonight at five, six, or seven, and I'll come and meet you. And conveniently, he was in Marin. <laughs> Convenient so, indeed. So instead of having him come here, I ended up driving for three hours, but it was fair because I pushed the meeting on it. But it was good to meet that guy. He was interesting. Yeah. Well, these things are interesting. They're always, you know, it is amazing. So you have this, you know, you, you, the job is. And the front end, do a bunch of things to hope to hopefully signal to the universe that you're smart and thoughtful and helpful and can and will be a good investor, right? Because that then allows people to say, oh, I would like to pitch David or Howard or Vivek or whoever, and, and you know, August Capital, hopefully, right? And then we have to make sure that we're timely and thoughtful and then we have to meet with them and say, oh, this is interesting, like this meeting we had this week where it's like, oh, this is interesting. We should jump on it. And then it is very rare that those bit the, that interesting deals we deals we believe are interesting that we're the only ones who think they're interesting or that we're the only ones who are pitched and then it's you know how do you make sure that the entrepreneur feels like you're the best possible person for that company and then and then you go through the process of negotiating a term sheet right okay then what is a fair financing and usually that involves conversations not just about price but about control and those sorts of things and only once you're through all of that and it's all said and done then you get to you know go off to a, you know you you fund the company you go off to this first board meeting and then you have the first board meeting yeah right exactly <laughs> so because things are in a rush sometimes Every now and then, maybe it's a quarter of the time or a fifth of the time, something in that range, you go to the first or second board meeting, and we call it the oh shit board meeting, (laughs) where you hear something at the board meeting and you think, "Uh uh-oh, I should have asked. It's usually not something that's fatal, but it's something along the lines of, I didn't ask that question or I didn't catch that during reference calls because sometimes it's so compressed for time in making the decision. And, and it's difficult to um, know all the answers before you get there because you meet the company and sometimes you have a week or two and things happen. Usually it works out. I think the, the biggest oh shit board meeting I ever had was six weeks after a financing. Um, well, three weeks after the financing, one of the founders pushed one, his co-founder out. And then three <laughs> weeks later, we had the first board meeting and the CEO proudly announced that he had spent a million and a quarter dollars out of the four and a half million dollar financing already. On a name. 
What? It wasn't on a domain name. It was on other stuff that was equally, <laughs> you know, buying hardware that they would never need and securing contracts. And, and I, I sat there and it was with another VC and we sat there, we looked at each other and we both were thinking in our heads, oh, oh shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> no controls on the company and the guy, we like, and the company's actually doing great now, but it was a struggle for about a year and a half to pull out of that. Yeah, it's, I mean, look, I don't think that... I, I I bet you that that moment, that kind of holy cow moment, uh, happens uh, one in three times or something. I mean, it, this isn't an unusual thing, and it's not because anyone's being misled, right? I don't think it's that people are trying to set like they're trying to trick you, and then they trick you into funding the company, and 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 that's smart because you know entrepreneurs have to live with you for a lot long time. I've only had one entrepreneur in the you know almost 15 years I've been in the venture business who uh, clearly misled us. You know, like I had that, that once that, as well. I've had one, yeah. and you know, it's like well, and it's how, a, and how did you know he misled you? Oh, it took years, years before we found out. So for and me, it was two years in, and the finance person called me up and said the CEO is telling me not is to keep two sets of books and not tell the board what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, oh shit. Well, in this but, instance, the way we found out is that the company was. It, essentially, there was no way to hide it because the company was going to run out of money. And so we finally just made the decision that we had to repla- replace the CEO, bring in someone to sort of run the company in the interim while we figured out what was going on. And that person then, who was relatively new to the company, came back and said, let me report to you on all of the things that have happened here. And they were th- they were vast <laughs> you know and at that point you could you know it's sort of like well please shut off the lights i mean it was not but it's amazing the reality is that you're we don't audit our companies we don't what we have is personal relationships and a lot of time with teams and whatever else and if you're a truly bad person you you know you can mislead for a reasonable chunk of time you know a friend of mine is a vc in asia and he had a company that he funded at series a and it went public in japan and after the ipo the government came and said that there was some irregularities in reporting and the vc said to the ceo i've been working with you for nine years are you honest or are you lying and the ceo said i am honest and a few months later was convicted and he been lying the whole time and of course took the board down with him and the vc and everything so just like you say here's a situation of the guy trusted him. He knew him yeah. for nine years, and the guy was dishonest. Yeah, and it is what it is. So, no, it's sort of astonishing, right? I mean, uh, uh, but but the other thing is sometimes that oh shit moment is really just a when you're looking at companies, you're re- it's real. It, it we, Howard, you and I have talked about this in the, the kind of dating uh, analogy forever, right? In the in the venture business, and it is you're dating, right? And you know what? When you're dating for the first time, you're so smitten. It's like, you know, oh, I love your smile and you say funny, cute things. And, you know, even I like the way you eat spaghetti and, and let's have sex a lot more. And then, you know, at some point you kind of get to the point where it's like, oh, now we're going to actually talk about things and have a relationship. And I have a feeling that, you know, that beginning part that like I'm so in love and everything you say is cute and, and beautiful is that courtship process, right? And that, that And usually that first board meeting is sort of the first time that you sit down and have the first 
conversation about like yeah, but, you, but you learn something else which is you're dating and then you shake hands on a term sheet and then between the term sheet and the closing of the financing you learn a lot about them and they learn a lot about you when you start getting into the details and and that process you often find out the person either didn't things like they didn't really understand something or they thought that they were going to kind of get you and VCs do this in the other direction too sometimes they thought they were going to renegotiate something afterwards and you learn a lot about that uh, I mean it suggests that maybe everybody should um, engage in a prenup right it's you know the, re- it, the reason it's telling is because you have to discuss hard economic facts and and your adversarial <clears throat> you know your adversarial in a, in a number of respects right not because you're you disagree or whatever but the reality is that price is an adversarial relationship you want you want to buy as much as possible they want to sell as little as possible you come to some reasonable accommodation that makes perfect sense but it still is a negotiation same thing about control etc right and you know I, I heard someone talking about it recently that now that more than half of marriages end in divorce so there is a greater likelihood that your marriage will fall apart and then stay together than not however however it's usually people who are married multiple times so first time marriages are not more likely to fall apart oh is that true yeah it's many people get married two three four times so first time ah. you're still above the line but by the time you're getting divorced that second time <laughs> well that's actually see this is the power of statistics right like you know as on a whole that's a that's an interesting fact but but anyway you know it, or, or theoretically you should you should engage in a prenup that says if this thing doesn't work out here's how here's what we're going to do and you'd have those hard conversations of course just like in startups you don't want to do that you want to like you know in fact we don't want to have these hard conversations about our, the financings either that's what we use our general counsel for <laughs> it's like you go you go negotiate the hard stuff so anyway it's it's an it's always an interesting process so i want to talk about this startup company service that i tried oh, two, yeah? two days ago because it was just the, one of these magical things sort of like uh, uber is a magical thing yeah you know, the first time you order a i'm sorry i just it was an exciting thing yeah We're i want to know about I wanna... saving time and so I we hear. live in this fantasy land where magical things happen in in, in silicon valley and, and this one is just crazy <laughs> Like the first time you use Uber and you can see the taxi or the car coming to you and it pulls up and you're like, wow. And you that get works. in and then you get out and you don't have to tip and you don't yeah. have to do anything. And so then listen it to this one. just gets paid and you go, oh, that was so good. In some ways, this is more amazing than Uber. <laughs> um, it's, a dr- it's, it's a drone that comes and picks you up by the head. Basically. <laughs> so it's a company called Zirx, Z I R X. And I was their first customer. They would only really? be testing it internally. And I'm the first um, non employee. <laughs> to try the service and it started by a guy named Sean Bear who is at shopping.com and what the service is um, it, it, I, well, I drove to a board meeting for relay rides in the city and I told Zerks I was going to be at relay rides at 8 o'clock and they tracked me coming in so they know if I was going to be there so you had an app four, it was going four, ping 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 or, or 7.52 or whatever and when I pulled up in front of relay rides door there was a gentleman there in a Zerks shirt and I got out of my car 
and handed him my keys and he got in my car and drove it away to their parking lot. And their parking lot is about a mile away and their parking is very cheap. So I had for $15 to park for the day, including valet service in both directions. So Do you I, know what I would have killed? I would have killed for that yesterday because I had a board meeting up in San Francisco and it was a Giants game. And so you know what happens when the stupid Giants games happen. My parking cost $50 to go to this board meeting. I didn't have a choice because I was going to the board meeting and those, and it was proximate to the baseball yeah. stadium. Yeah, and imagine if you drive an SUV. Yeah. And then they charge you 90 for oversized <laughs> car. But, so but the, so the guy is, grabs your car. And then later you say, I'm ready to go. And you can track him bringing your car back to you. So you come down and do it. And I was talking with Andre Haddad at Relay Rides. And I said, hey, Andre, i got to tell you about this service. I said, how do you come to the city? He goes, well, parking is such a bitch. And it's so expensive. I've been taking the train. And I said, well, where do you park when you drive? He said, well, about four blocks away, and I pay 35 bucks. <laughs> he and said, so I, I got a deal I for you. I got a deal for you. <laughs> and he's hooked. He, he's done because it's cheaper. It's 15 bucks, including valet service. And there's no parking your car. There's no walking to your car. There's no doing that. And whether this is a big business or not, I don't know. But it was like yeah, right. magic. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things where, so as you said, in Silicon Valley, magic happens. I was talking with someone who doesn't live here. And about uh, my son's commentary on DoorDash and Fluck. Now, do, you know, those of you who aren't in Silicon Valley don't know what DoorDash or Fluck are, but what they are is food delivery services. So they are basically competing food delivery services. They've cut deals with local restaurants. You go to their site, click, 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 and they deliver the food to you uh, for basically, for next to nothing it appears, and they show up. And it is now so popular that my son was laughing because he said he walked into a restaurant and there were what he calls the red shirts and the red shirts are the DoorDash guys they wear red t-shirts to say DoorDash and two red shirts were there picking up food and then they walked by and a fluck guy came in I don't know what color t-shirt the fluck people wear and then as the fluck guy was getting his food some other DoorDash guy came in it is so popular at this point that everybody's using it and so in any given restaurant you see a group of young people wearing these t-shirts branded from their service picking up and delivering the food so that's amazing. I love it in the same way that I love Google Shopping Express. I love Instacart. I love all these things that are delivering stuff to us for what seems an irrationally low price. Irrationally low price. Exactly. So let me talk about DoorDash. <laughs> so I was going to my favorite local sushi bar in Mountain View called Sushi Tomi. And I've gone there somewhere between... 40 and 60 times, I'm guessing. But I'm never going again because of DoorDash. <laughs> Seriously? Because they they are the same. They have a DoorDash guy coming in every five or six minutes, and they keep taking orders, and it backs up their kitchen. So you wait 40 minutes for a table because they don't take reservations. And now that DoorDash exists, you're sitting at your table, and they don't bring And they're you. serving other people. They're serving other people. I was so irritated there about two weeks ago, I almost ordered DoorDash from the table. <laughs> I was watching the DoorDash cut and 40 minutes for me to get my food. So 40 minutes to wait for the table and 40 minutes to get the food. And I told the, the person at the restaurant, I'm never coming here again because you don't give priority to the people who have come to the restaurant. And the thing that really irritated me is I'm looking at the menu for DoorDash. Um, and I'm looking at the menu at the restaurant and then for the same items, the DoorDash prices are higher. So that's how DoorDash so that's makes how they're their making money. money. Yeah. They take 18% from the restaurant. This is what the restaurant shop owner told me. And they charge you a higher price. And they charge you a delivery price. So I am sure DoorDash is a great business. If I was the likes of Sushi Tomi, 
I would shut off all the tables and build a bigger kitchen and just make you just it. Just do DoorDash. You have one door for Fluck and one door for DoorDash, and they just come in and come in, and it's a better business. Well, this is what I mean. We've seen this right with with your company. That I'm, thank you. Oh my God, <laughs> this is one. If you of just eat their food every day, you would think of the brand. I should exactly with Eat Club, right? I mean, the difference between Eat Club and DoorDash is that Eat Club, which is your company, that it allows businesses to say, hey, we don't need catering. We're going to allow you to order food from local restaurants and get variety and high quality, all that stuff. But the reason they can do it is because they're cooking that stuff when no one else is in the restaurant, right? They're cooking at, what, 10 to 1130 or something, right? And so they have available capacity in a kitchen. They use it, etc., which is great because it double, you know, it increases the capacity of the restaurant. In this instance, you're you're totally right. If you want to have a presence and have people come in or whatever, you have to treat them well. And if ultimately DoorDash is creating more demand than the people coming into your restaurant, then fine, just do that. Close the tables down. But here's the question, right? Is are they symbiotic, right? Do you need a restaurant so that people know about the restaurant so that they then look for it, right? Would I order from Amber of India on DoorDash or one of these things if I didn't go to Amber of India and know that it was fantastic, right? And how long can you maintain that reputation and all that by virtue, virtually, as opposed to, you know, from by having a physical presence? And, and, this is true in lots of instances. I know. I know that this is an interesting debate that we have. You know, I have one company. Literally yesterday, we were talking about it, where they have two different product lines, and one is going to grow and become their predominant line. The other is going to support that line. And say, so, okay, why don't you just shut off the supporting cast of characters? And the answer is because if you shut it off today, there wouldn't be sufficient updraft to make the other thing work. So. You know, your sushi place is going to have to figure out how to get it straight. And in the meantime, you should just order from DoorDash, order them from DoorDash and see how is it when it arrives. Now, sushi, we all know, is not nearly as delicious when it's delivered to you. So that's an interesting question. I mean, yeah, but at least you're waiting at home watching TV for it instead of waiting 40 minutes for a table and waiting 40 minutes for your food. But you yeah. pay less by going to the restaurant. Yeah, exactly. Well, and you can watch the World Cup. Which, by the way, so, you know, uh, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but... That's all so we do. We're, yeah, but yeah, exactly. But everything here is a tangent. Um, World Cup started yesterday. I'm super excited. Can't wait to... And then I'm trying to figure out desperately, so where do you... What's the source of information about the World Cup online? Right? Like, what's the place to go? So I just assumed ESPN. Terrible. ESPN's coverage of the, of the World Cup is atrocious so then i went to cnnsi sports illustrated worse like horrendous catastrophically bad how is this possible that these companies that their purpose in life is to support is to is to cover you know the the sporting events of the world and this is the single most important sporting event in the world and they're but not in america well, there you go. So maybe both of these are like so U.S. centric. Now the good news is it turns out that the World Cup itself has a site, and they actually, unlike guess. the freaking Olympics, yeah, WorldCup.com. I don't, I don't know because I found it on Google, <laughs> so I just clicked on it. But they had highlights. You know what's so annoying about the Olympics when you're trying to watch them online is that because they were owned by a a single channel, they controlled the the highlights, right? And so if you were anywhere else, you couldn't actually watch a highlight. World Cup 
got to go to worldcup.com or whatever it is i assume it is and they showed the highlights from the game yesterday awesome but are you a fan oh yeah oh i'm gonna i've i've lost my life now for what two months i mean but what about your calendar yeah, well, did you block that for? Yeah, this is the problem. This is why I need a solution because I have to watch this stuff between when my wife goes to bed and when I go to bed. So ten or ten to eleven ish until two or something, right? So if I can find the right resource, then I can do work. And now the problem is, it's very hard to do work and watch soccer at the same time. Unlike a lot of things which you can listen to, oh, you have to actually watch it. And and if you really appreciate soccer. Watching the highlights is total bullshit, right? It's like, oh, and then you see the goal, but you missed the 20 minutes of jostling before it when you saw all the real interesting action. It's an incredibly strategic sport. So I would love for someone to solve that problem. Like, why doesn't someone have that? Oh, you want to understand the game leading up to it, but I, I don't think, know. I uh, think Warren Packard's company, Thuz. I was about to mention that. T-H-U-U-Z. Yeah. They're all about figuring out what... I don't know if it's what uh, segments are getting shared or technology for activity, but they're the guys that you go to and it shows you just the interesting stuff. Yeah, it is. It's, it has hot, it basically has a heat map of a game, which is cool. And so I, that's a very good point. And, and, uh, sorry, Warren. Uh, I should have thought about it. I'll go to Thuz and see. Because maybe Thuz is pointing to the, right, you know, to the right source of the games. And if they have the full live stream of the game, then you can use Thuz to kind of zoom to the parts. That's that our shout-out for the day. Shout-out of the day to Thuz. Um, what else? We, we have a short show today because... And here's why. Because we are recruiting for some people to join the firm. We would like to find really smart, you know, kind of been in your career a couple to a handful of years, you've been in tech, or you've been in, you know, in and around the startup world, and uh, you're interested in the venture business, and you like to help us kind of look for interesting stuff, engage with with technology and technologists, and, and, uh, and be involved in the venture business. So we are looking for... We are looking for you. We're looking for you. So uh, you should email us if you're hearing this and you're that person. We're looking. We would love for someone to be technical. Uh, if you if you uh, you know went to, went to a great school with a technical degree and focused on uh, understanding the under under ugly underbelly of you know Hadoop or understand networking or uh, pro, uh, system design or whatever. That's interesting. We're looking for exciting. We're looking for people who like people, right? We're looking for people who want to engage with so lots of people. We're looking for you, or we're not looking for me. No, no, we're looking for a combination of the two of us. We're looking for the hybrid. We're looking for Howard's MIT degree and technical brain. And David's extroverted, non-sleeping, enthusiastic, shameless self-promotion. A guy who goes to bed at two o'clock in the morning and wakes up at five thirty. Six fifteen. Although I don't know what I'm going to do now. Actually, this is a calendar problem, right? Up until literally today, it is a very clear, very clear how to schedule my life because at 6.15 I get up, I get breakfast, blah, 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 and I drop my son at the bus at 7.30. So at 7.30, my day starts. And so my calendar now is assuming 7.30 start. But the reality is now Beckett's not going to school anymore as of today's his last day of school. Now I could start at 8 or whatever. So suddenly I'm going to be getting up at 6.15 just to get to breakfast or whatever. 
when I could give myself another hour of sleep or something. Hmm. You don't not, need it. Not that Mary's listening, but interesting. Anyway, where was I? Go- oh, anyway, so we have to get a hop on a call because we're trying to figure out how to how to bring in great, smart people to 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 uh, help us build August Capital. So if you're that person, please feel free to email us because we're you know we're looking for great people, and best way to find great people is to look to get out the word. Like looking for looking for great people who want who love technology, love the startup world. Uh, would and love to put to up with it. the two personalities. Yeah, well, and plus we have more. <laughs> we're just the beginning. <laughs> Yeah. All right, we got to cut off. All right. Well, thank you for listening to VentureCast. This has been David Hornick of August Capital. And Howard Hartenbaum of August Capital. And it will be more frequent than it has been recently. And that's a threat.